Good morning, everyone. And good morning, everyone else. Like, I thought y'all got an extra hour of sleep. Like, this is the good daylight saving times, not the bad ones. Let's try one more time all together. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Now we're rolling. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't always listen to the video announcements, but I thought they just said that Kansas City Joe's, did they say we're going to have Kansas City Joe's barbecue at the, at the Chiefs night? I will be here at the Chiefs night just for Kansas City Joe's barbecue. I don't always listen, but I heard that and I thought, wait a minute. That is an, that's an, I know other stuff about baptism, everything. I wouldn't pay attention, but Kansas City Joe's barbecue, that is really, really important. Um, so I'm glad that I caught that announcement. Would you help me welcome Brittany and Daniel Brooker to Kansas City this morning? We're so grateful to have you guys. Before we dig in a little bit, so your five children are not with you, we got a picture of your kiddos. Introduce us to your kiddos and tell us who um, you left at home and why you had such a good night's sleep because they were not with you last yeah, night at the hotel. In case you're wondering, they're always this perfect. That is our life. Uh, always smiling, obedient. Uh, <laughs> the it's one that like looks a the, circus. Yes, yeah, circus. The, the oldest one, he keeps our prayer life stronger than anything else, I believe, right? Uh, the little girl, Aubrey, she runs the show. She is little mama. And then the smallest one keeps us laughing. Uh, so I'm going to go through them. So I'm looking at the screen. So left, right, Ethan, Peyton, Nathan, Aubrey, and Evan. And we're tired. <laughs> so we have been, if you're brand new, by the way, welcome. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors. And we're so glad that you're with us here at Journey. If you're watching online, thanks for hanging out with us this morning. We've been in a series uh, all month long in October, now carrying into November, called Grim Reaper. And it's been our goal as a church to try to help our people have a Christian theology of death and suffering. You say, what does that mean? The word theology means knowledge of God. What we're trying to help people know is what, what do we know to be true about God even in the hardest times of life? What do, we, what do we know to be true about God even when tragedy strikes? What do we know to be true about God even on the worst day of life when you get laid off? We've been trying to learn how to deal with suffering We've been trying to learn how to deal with grief. We've been trying to learn how the Bible says that you walk through death because the beginning point of a Christian theology of death and suffering is this. It's coming. It's coming. And if you've not experienced it yet, you will. If you live long enough, if you've not experienced death and suffering, you will. The question is, what do we do with that when it happens? How do we respond? You say, Christian, why are you doing a series on this? Daniel and Brittany asked me this question. Why'd y'all, why'd y'all do a whole month on death and suffering. And here's, here's why we did it. I could point to people in this service just like I did in our 8 a.m. I could point to your story, your story, your story. And I could say we've had people who have experienced a lot of heartache, who have had their faith tremendously shaken. Some of them have had their faith stopped because they just weren't aware as Christians, how do I deal with death and suffering and lean into God instead of away from God? And we said since it's real and since it's coming, we have to teach our people when death and suffering come, you have to lean into God not away from God. It's the only way you're going to make it. And for the last month, we've just been teaching that truth. What does the Bible say about death and suffering? But Danielle and I, seven or eight months ago, were taking a walk around our neighborhood. Um, and she told me as we were just talking about ministry, she said, Christian, I'm, I'm worried about that series that you're going to do in October. I'm worried about the Grim Reaper series. And I said, why? And she said, because it seems like the most powerful series at our church, our series, not that you teach, but series that, that we've lived and I'm afraid we've opened up a door and like we've asked for suffering or death in some way. Because it's one thing to say, here's what the Bible says. It's another thing to say, here's what we've lived through. And she said, it just scares me because it seems like so many of the sermon series I preach at our church, God allows us to experience before we bring them to you. And she said, just scares me that we're going to go through a really hard season before this series because it's the only way it's going to have deep, deep impact for our church. And I said, well, let's pray that's not the case. But 
Who do we know who has gone through tremendous suffering and grief that we can invite in to speak? Because maybe God can use their story in a powerful way. Brittany, we heard three years ago um, at youth camp, our summer youth camp, she did our girls' ministry session. And she came and shared her story of loss since then. She has remarried to Daniel, who has a very similar story of loss. We opened up this series by saying this. Sometimes the miracle that God has for us is not avoiding the fires in life, not avoiding the trials in life, but surviving those. Um, And and we said when it comes to grief and suffering, everyone's going to go through it. And if you don't have a plan to deal with it, you won't have a, a plan to exit it. And you might just get stuck in your grief and in your suffering. So we've brought in Brittany and Daniel today to say, hey, we've been studying the Bible for a month, seeing what the Bible says about pain, about suffering, about death, about grief. Is it true? Is it real? We've got the playbook. The question is, does it work? Y'all have both lived this. So help us understand how this worked in your life and encourage our hearts as we go through this. So guys, we're so grateful, not only that you're here, but that you've been willing and are willing to share your story. Talk a little bit. Take us, take us into your past so we can understand what you've dealt with. And then we're going to talk about some of the things we've learned in the series and whether or not those are really true in the midst of grief and suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for leading well. Uh, not everyone's brave enough or willing to go into these hard subjects. These are not fun things to talk about, but they are necessary. And so I just want to honor you as the pastor uh, for the way you lead so boldly and bravely uh, and just for the, the purpose you pour into uh, the community here. First of all, I want to let y'all know something. I, I know hurt. We know hurt. But we don't assume for a minute that we know you're hurt. So because we're speaking about our story doesn't mean that we know exactly what you're going through. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is there is a hope that we have that you can have too. And either you do or you can. It's your choice. And so my introduction to hurt and to hope happened uh, when I was 15. Uh, summer camp. I met a girl. And uh, I was a preacher's kid. I'd been saved uh, for years and was expected to have faith in God, expected to have a certain way of living. But that was never really put to the test. But I met this girl. Her name is Lindsay. I was 15. She was 13. Um, And so my life changed as a result of that. Years later, at the age of 24, I married her. And we started this life that I'd kind of always pictured. Uh, We got married two years later. We adopted two kids. Ethan and Aubrey, and we had a little white dog, a little Bichon, and so everything was going great, and had this life that we had kind of put together on our own. You know, everything in my life had gone pretty much how I wanted it to go, so there was not a big test except for one area, and that was Lindsay's health. And at the age of 19, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer out of nowhere. Uh, It wasn't in her family. It wasn't something she had seen coming Uh, but showed up, but was dealt with quickly, and everything was fine as far as we could tell. Uh, At 21, with the engagement ring in my pocket, it showed up again. And so we had to encounter a reality that we didn't expect, hysterectomy, chemo. Uh, Our engagement, a year-long engagement, seven months of that was chemo. We got married afterwards when she started recovering and feeling better. And I knew God had called me to her. There was no doubt in my mind that God called me to Lindsay for a very specific reason. So I loved her the best I could. And we went through, through this journey of life, and we were doing great. Everything was fine. And five years after marriage, cancer showed back up. And if you know anybody who's been affected by cancer, or if you've personally walked through it, cancer is relentless in a lot of ways. And so that was the case for Lindsay. Uh, when it showed back up for the next year, 
it was exhausting. It was chaos. It was fighting. It was crying out to God in a way I never had before. And the result of that year-long battle was two things. One, I saw Lindsay not focus on her situation, but focus on other people. In her hurt, in her pain, in her hospital bed, she would ask doctors, how is their day going? And I saw seasoned doctors break down and cry because they said, I've been doing this however many years, and no patient has ever asked me how my day was going. And so she poured into others even when she had every excuse to be focused on herself and her pain. And that inspired me so much as I watched from my front row seat of how she dealt with her pain. And the result of that is I was faced with fighting for my wife's life. And I found myself uh, at the end of this year-long journey physically, literally fighting for my wife's life. CPR, ambulance rides to the ER room, praying on my face in the ER room while doctors work on my wife trying to save her life. And I remember the doctor running in after, you know, 20, 30 minutes of this fight and saying, there's nothing else we can do. And I'd never given up on Lindsay. I'd never given up on someone I loved and that whole time. And I said, get back in there. I, I don't even accept that. And in my mind, it just said, go. God, you've got to show up now. Like, I've prayed. I've asked all these things. This is kind of where, where it comes down to it, God. Please show up. And so the doctor comes back a few minutes later. He says, she's back. Get in here now. And so I run down this hallway. And when I run into the room, I realize I've got, I've got minutes. And I was able to do something I had not done in the entire battle and tell her goodbye. I'd always fought and always prayed and believed for, for healing. And we never really discussed anything along those lines. And so I had an opportunity to tell her how much I loved her and how much I was thankful for the way that she had shown love to others. And, and I told her, I know this is scary, but I'll take care of the kids. Like, I got this. You're okay. And I had to say goodbye to my wife. And that moment was the most painful thing I'd ever walked through, but also the most faith-confirming thing I'd ever walked through because heaven came down to get her in a way to where the comfort and the presence of God was so real in that room that I had no choice. This Baptist boy, this preacher kid had no choice but to step back and lift my hands and worship and say, God, I don't get this. I don't understand. I don't like it. But I worship you, and I trust you, and I praise you in spite of what's going on. And so I had to walk out of that room experiencing the most pain and the most discomfort I'd ever experienced and walk out figuring out I've got to tell two small children, four and three, that their mom's not coming home. And I entered a season of, of being a widower, trying to figure out where God was going to take that from there. And Brittany, your story ended in a, in a similar place. But, I mean, but was radically different. So talk about your husband, Patrick. Yeah, so I was married to a man in law enforcement named Patrick. He was every bit of tall, pale, and handsome. Um, and we stood on the stage in our 20s, and we looked at each other in the eyes, and we said, I promise to be faithful through life's pleasures and through life's pressures till Christ calls us home. Um, we had three kids under the age of three. I had a newborn, one-and-a-half-year-old, and almost three-year-old. And he went to work one morning, and I said, I love you. You look handsome in that suit. Have a good day. And he prayed over me like he did every morning. And I got a phone call that day from his boss, and he said, hey, Patrick fell. Is everything okay? Is, is he healthy? I'm like, yeah, he's a perfectly healthy 30-year-old man. I think I just saw him this morning. And he said, okay, well, we sent him to the hospital. We're going to come get you. And um, 
a, a patrol vehicle because it was raining. We'll get, put the lights on. You can make it there faster. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, he's probably really cracking the nurses up, going like, oh, we're so tired from our babies, you know, um, that type crazy thing. And so we journeyed there a, an hour to the hospital, and I got out, and I just ran as fast as I could uh, to a hallway full of people. I saw it written all over their faces, and I knew it was coming, and they pulled me aside, and they turned the curtain. I mean, it was just like a movie. You're like, this is not my life. This is no way this is my life. And they sat me down, and they said, Brittany, I'm so sorry, but Patrick died. His heart just stopped beating, and we don't know why. And in that moment, I became a widow at 25 with three babies under the age of three and started walking through the journey of the valley of the shadow of death that you read about and you hear about, but God was calling me to live it out. And the Lord was so real and so kind and so good in the midst of it. But literally in that day, I felt like every dream I had, every hope I had of what my life looked like, what my kid's life looked like, everything died in that moment. And I was literally having to fight to choose life in the midst of death. So we talked about the first week of the series we, we study for those of you who are new to church, an Old Testament story. Um, called the fiery furnace, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Hebrew boys who were threatened with death if they didn't worship a foreign god in Babylon. And they stood up to the king of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar, and they, they made this statement. They said, our God is able to rescue us from what you're planning to do, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to do what you've asked us to do. And we started this series by saying some of you in our church right now are living in the furnace of a season called even when God doesn't. Because we believe, I mean, as Christians, we believe God is omnipotent. We believe he's all-powerful. We believe God can stop the cancer. What happens when he doesn't? We believe God can hold the marriage together. But what happens when he doesn't? We believe God could keep the tragedy from occurring. But what happens when he doesn't? We believe God could keep the layoffs from coming. But what happens when he doesn't? We believe God could keep us from getting, or our kids getting sick. But what happens when he doesn't? What do we do? When we know God can, but he doesn't. Where do we turn when we know God can, but he doesn't? And we talked about turning towards Jesus, looking around and knowing that even in the fire, Jesus is there. We talked about how in suffering, we either choose misery, which is we turn in towards ourselves, or we, towards, we, we, we choose ministry. We turn towards Jesus and say, Jesus, what, do you, what would you have us do? You mentioned, you know, immediately turning to the Lord. You mentioned a moment of worship what does it look like, and how, how were you able in your pain in a hospital room to immediately turn to God for help rather than from God in anger or bitterness? What, what, was, what was the thing that led you in that direction, and how do some of the people in the room who right now are living in the season of even when God did not? God could, but he didn't. How do we still run to him um, and believe he's going to take care of us? How did, how did you run to him? I think so many times we don't look to God until we are in the fire. And so you're looking to this stranger instead of this close friend. And God started my journey when I was a teenager and really got a hunger and a thirst for the Lord. And so, I mean, literally days before my husband died, I was in my time in the word and I felt like God said, surrender your family. And here I have this little newborn and I'm like, Lord, what is this? I dreamed about having six kids, and I'm like, okay, is this something with that? I don't know why. And I just felt like God said over and over again, surrender, surrender. 
and didn't know that days later, it was because my entire dream of what my family would look like was going to be different. But I say that to say he was such a close friend then. And I knew him that when I walked through struggles, he was the first one I turned to because he had always been there. And I say that not to say if right now you're walking through a hardship and you've never turned to God, it is not too late to turn to God. It says in his word that he is near to the brokenhearted. He is near and that the nearness of God is our good. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Anytime we run to him, anytime we turn to him, we can find refuge in him. Psalms 27 says, I would have despaired unless I believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. When you're walking through struggles, it's not like in that moment when they say your husband died, you're like, oh, my life is so great. Oh, God, you're going to use this for purpose. No, you're saying, God, this is hard. Why did you write this as my story? God, why? We were doing so good. We were, had a great marriage. We had these awesome kids. God, why? But in the midst of walking through that, in the midst of admitting your pain, going to God for the questions, going to God in your anger, because you're going to have that, but to turn to God for all those raw emotions and saying, God, here's my pain, but here's your promise. You got to release the pain and pick up his promise. Release the problems and pick up the pain. Um, release the problems and pick up his promises because so many times our focus is right in front of us going god this is hard why did you call me this i hate this story nobody knows what it's like to lose a son nobody knows what it looks like to lose a husband nobody knows what cancer is so you're looking down but when you take the time to look up and fix your eyes on jesus he opens your entire perspective to see that eternity is what we're looking for and when we look up to say you know what you say that you will never leave me nor forsake you. Right now I feel alone, but God, I know that you said you will never leave me. That means you're a God who sees, you're a God who cares, you're a God who's there. And literally I would take those promises, even when I didn't feel that, I was like, okay, listen, God, like you say that in your word, I'm holding you to it. <laughs> you know, God, show me what that looks like. And in the midst of taking my pain and yielding it before God, surrendering it and picking up his promises, over and over again, God started revealing a greater purpose. Because when we give him our pain, when we pick up his promises that change our perspective on life, he gives us a purpose in the midst of his pain that comes through the hope that comes from his word. It says in Psalms 119, revive me according to your word. It says I would have perished in my affliction if it wasn't for the life that I got through your word. If we're not in God's word, I do not have the perspective to face our everyday. And our everyday right now is still hard. We're not coming up here saying, oh, we've got victory and our life is perfect. We're coming up here saying we still have suffering and God is still good. It's still hard. My babies cried last week for their daddy and I had to hold them while they were sobbing and tell them it's hard for mommy too. But God is still good because his goodness is not measured in circumstance. His goodness is measured in his character that never changes. So this is going to change a little bit of what I say because it's been four years since your husband has died. And I, I've said every week in this series, there's two groups of people that we're ministering to through this series. Those who have suffered in their past and what you're learning you wish you would have learned as you went through your season of suffering. Those who will suffer in their future and what you're learning is going to help it be better. You're going to make it better. But then I said there's a small percentage, maybe 10%, that their season of suffering is now. 
And I, you know, I, I said, maybe this is your week of suffering, your month of suffering, your year of suffering. You're talking four years ago, and your little boys are saying, I still miss dad. If you are living in your season of suffering, we don't want to minimize your pain. We don't want to minimize your feelings. We, won't, we don't want to tell you this will just fix everything. We want to recognize that. We want to try to be humble. We want to be, try to be sensitive. But we want to tell you to keep moving. You said something last night when, when we were eating dinner about the 23rd Psalm and this line of the valley of the shadow of death that I thought was so key. Would you, would you tell our people that for those who have stopped in the valley of the shadow of death and they've decided to live there as a memorial rather than moving forward as a ministry, would, would you just say to them what you said to us last night at dinner? Yeah, absolutely. So Psalms 23 says, um, when I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And that key word is walk, which is a movement. It's not at a standing. It doesn't say, I'm going to build a house. I'm going to create as much comfort as I can in the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death is not comfortable. Nobody says, hey, I would love some more pain. I love sitting here in pain. No, I hate pain. It's hard for us to even talk about this. Like, let's talk about the hardest day of our lives. But the Lord even works in the midst of it. And so we have to keep moving in the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes it looks like you might run a little bit. Other times you are limping. Other times I was on my belly crawling through the valley of the shadow of death. But the, the reality is we have to keep moving and ask in the midst of it, God, for victory to be able to hold on to the healing of God. So many people say healing comes through time. Healing does not come through time. Healing comes through Jesus. It doesn't matter how much time it's been. It could be 10 years and you could be stuck in the same spot. But if you yield and say, God, you are my healer, Daniel was not the healer of my story. Daniel's not the hero of my story, even though I'm so thankful and he's a gift from the goodness of God. But Jesus is the healer of our story. He is the restorer. He's the redeemer. And he is our hope and our hero. And he can be the same thing in your story. And we have to have people and counselors, people that are neutral looking into our lives saying, listen, you're setting up a house right there in the house of mourning. You're, you're finding comfort in your identity being suffering. When our identity becomes suffering, when we choose not to get better through the pain, we're getting bitter through the pain. And we're smelling like self-pity, resentment. It's all about me, all of those things. Any type of those isolations, the enemy is going to take and run with the lies of the enemy. But if we can say, God, we're here. God, would you use this to better me for your glory, for the glory of God's kingdom? Second Corinthians 4, it talks about this light momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. God is trying to produce in you something that far outweighs the present pain. So the valley of the shadow of death, is, it's a real place. It's not a metaphor. Um, if, if you've been to Israel with us, for those of you who are going in January, the valley of the shadow of death is, a, is, is basically a valley that runs between Jerusalem and Jericho. Uh, it actually runs on the south side of the road that cuts east-west across the country of Israel. And it was called that because it was a very dangerous place. People were often traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and they were robbed, beaten there. The parable of the Good Samaritan happened in the valley of the shadow of death. It was just a really dangerous place, and if you traveled it after dark, once the sun had set... And, and it became a valley that was dark, you, you probably were going to be robbed. But you were always headed one of two places through the valley of the shadow of death. You were headed up to worship in Jerusalem, or you were headed down to rest in Jericho. And if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, two places, 
Two places are going to allow you to find Jesus. Rest in who Jesus is. Worship in who Jesus is. Daniel, your story about a month after your wife Lindsay died, you found yourself uh, drugged to a, a worship concert by your friends when God really, he gave you a new awareness of your pain. He gave you a new awareness of your how you would connect to someone you lost uh, and really kind of use that as a spark to allow the three of us to be sitting here today. Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of value in feeling what you're going through, feeling that pain. And so after Lindsay passed away, I, I got sick. I went into a hole in the sense of, hey, I'm, I'm just physically sick. I'm exhausted. I'm broken. And my family, my friends allowed me to do that. And they stayed with me. They were there for me. But they didn't push me through it until about a month in. They said, okay, all right, you look pretty sick. You lost some weight. Not good. We got to get you out. We got to get you around people that, that are going to encourage you. And so I just was like, all right, let's go. So we ended up at a concert, and I found myself on the very back row with the, in the balcony and just kind of recapping the whole month. And one of the things that stood out to me that entire month more than anything was missing the connection with Lindsay. You know, I, I met her when I was 15. She passed away when she was 28. That's a lot of life that we lived together. And so I caught myself, like, starting a text, calling her two rings in, realizing, oh, my word, and just those sucker punches that happened. And that connection was gone, and I, I grieved it. And so when I go to this concert, I'm like, God, this, this is hard. I, I don't like it. I don't, I'm not used to it. I, I'm just not, I don't want to be in this. And I got to the place where I just said, you know, God, even in spite of this, you know, I still remember the ER room moment. I still remember your presence. And all I can do, all I know to do right now is worship you. That's all. I, I don't even feel it fully, but I'm going to do it because I know you're worthy of my worship and praise. And so I just, on the very back row in the balcony, just started raising my hands and saying, God, you are in control. I trust you in spite of this. And that's when God spoke to my heart, this Baptist boy that just was all about this. God said, the connection you desire with Lindsay, what you've been missing, you do have that. But it's through me. As you worship me, as you lift your hands and praise, that's what Lindsay is doing right now. And your, your relationship with me is what connects you to Lindsay and the ones you love and the ones who are gone. And it kind of set the stage for me of, wow, I knew that to be true, but realizing that my worship is a connection point, it is something that we do here in this room together with people side by side, but it also connects us with people who have gone before us. And so I came home from that, kind of just shell-shocked from it and just encouraged and decided to post something. Um, that's what we all do, right? We go through something, let's get, let me post. That's, this is going to be good. doesn't happen unless uh, you post it. So, yeah. I mean, that's like, yeah, once you post it, then it's real. Yeah, then it's real. It, it didn't happen until it, yeah. yeah. So I go and I type it up and I, and I post it out there. And this was a month and a day after Lindsay had died, not knowing that when I posted it was the night, the day that Patrick had passed away. We had no connection, no idea of her story. And through that, it ended up being shared and ultimately shared with Brittany. So that post ultimately encouraged my wife now just being obedient and open to what God was doing in my life. So the moral of the story is when God speaks, post. You need to, <laughs> it'll, it'll lead you to your Especially love. if you're a single guy. If you're just single, write it up and hit send. And then just, just start, wait. Make sure you it's a good know. picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pick a good picture. Yeah, pick a good picture. That's exactly right. Um, so we... We, we studied a little bit of Elizabeth Elliot's writings. Her husband, Jim Elliot, was a missionary who was killed by the missionary tribe that he went to minister to. 
The last book that was published under her name uh, from a series of recordings and writings she had was Suffering is Never for Nothing. And in that book she talked about, and Scripture talks about how suffering always does two things. One, it makes you more like Jesus. It's the way we be. Jesus became like us through suffering. We become like him through suffering. It is the, suffering is the glue that made Jesus like us and us like him. But suffering also makes us useful to others who, are, who have suffered. I heard a pastor say one time, you cannot minister more deeply than you have suffered because you just can't connect to people. It's impossible to minister to someone at a deeper level than you have personally suffered because you don't get it. So suffering makes your ministry valuable. How has that how has that been true in your life? How are you more like Jesus, closer to Jesus four years after Patrick and Lindsay died than you were beforehand? And how how are, how are you just a different level of minister? How has God used what you have gone through to allow you to walk next to someone at a deeper level than you could have possibly done before you experienced the suffering and grief that you did? Either one of you can answer either one of those questions. You know, I learned that in order to walk people along suffering, you have to feel it with them and not fix it. And so many of us, we are like literally pain is uncomfortable. For someone to come into my house when we're crying and my kids hear the garage door open and they think it's their daddy and we all know that he's been in heaven for three weeks and then they hear the sobbing and they hear me have to say it again, like that's uncomfortable. But when people came and entered into our pain and they felt it with us, they didn't say, oh, God's got a plan. It's going to work it out for good. You know, all that stuff. They said, I am so sorry. I can't even imagine. When they felt it with us and they entered it, God used that to comfort us. When I rocked my little baby and I thought of my mother-in-law, every time I rocked my little baby and I thought, that's her baby that died. And I would pray for her. And when you're with your kids and you have a friend that lost a kid, to enter that grief with them and think every time when I hold my baby, I'm going to pray for my friend that does not have her baby to hold. Or every time I'm with my husband, I'm going to appreciate and love my husband because I know the gift of that. But comfort as which we have been comforted and listening to the voice of God. God has the best ideas of the way to comfort his people because he knows them the best. So when people listened to the awkward things of like, I don't even know Brittany Price, but I'm supposed to show up on her doorstep. And I had prayed something and they were the answer to the prayer that they felt uncomfortable doing. But God used to literally strengthen my faith and show me I'm a God who sees. I'm a God who sees and knows every detail. You didn't tell anybody you needed that, but I knew and I showed up. I mean, little things like my son started praying for a swing after my husband died, and I thought, okay, well, God's probably going to give us one at a garage sale, whatever, you know, that type thing. And then literally weeks later, these people came to our house and said, God laid it on a bunch of our hearts to buy a swing set for your family, and we're just told to tell you it's from Father God. It's God being a daddy. And so when my babies were on that, I said, God cares so much for you, and that's how he's a father to the fatherless. And that he laid it on all these people, the same idea, and that all these people answered the call of God. And so in this room, there are people that are walking through suffering, and there are people who are called to be a friend to the sufferer. There's a friend that you are called to enter into their suffering and to be in the uncomfortable spot. And God will use both of you to strengthen your faith because as you watch them walk through suffering, you can see the glory of God. And as you are faithful to your friend in the suffering, you can be the glory of God to them as well. So, Daniel, you had to think when, when God called you to live the rest of your life. I'll let you share about the why and the what. 
But when you said my life's purpose is now to minister to widowers, you had to think that's going to that's gonna probably limit a whole lot of things in my future, including m- maybe one day meeting a wife who feels like it's her life's calling to minister to people who have lost their spouse. But by just pursuing your calling, um, you not only you not only met Brittany, but but the level of your eyes changed. The question changed in your mind. And for people who have struggled, for people who have suffered, for people who have gone through difficult things, who are asking why, what should we be asking instead? Everything changed for me when I stopped asking why and started asking God what. I had uh, gone through grief surrounded by people who brought casseroles and helped with the kids and all that, but I missed the piece where some man who had lost his wife stepped into my story and said, Daniel, here's what it's going to look like, and I'm going to walk with you through it. And I I kind of resented that. I was like, God, where's that person? I need that one person to speak in my life. I'm getting sick of the casseroles. I'm thankful for the casseroles, <laughs> but I'm, I'm right here. And, the, and the, the turning point was, okay, if you're tired of no one showing up in your life, why don't you show up in theirs? You've walked through something now. You've got a voice that you didn't have before. Show up for them. I said, okay, God, I, I'm going to say yes to this. I don't know what that looks like. And with that, just agreeing with God, Stories and people started reaching out to me. Hey, this this guy lost his wife. Hey, this guy's got you know two kids just like you. Can you speak to him? Can you help him? And so it doesn't make any logical sense to say, yeah, let me help guys so I can meet a girl. Yeah, that's that's that makes sense. So it's no is no like, well, how's this going to work out for me? I'm selfish in a lot of ways, but I knew in that moment that was something God had called me to, and being obedient to that ultimately did lead me to Brittany, helped a widower who was a family friend and introduced me to Carrie Underwood's twin. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it was that. It was like, hey, God, I don't get it, but I've got to do this. And that is that's exactly how it played out. And so, and it doesn't change the circumstances. You know, our purpose does not change the fact that our spouses died and it was hard. But it gives you the purpose to make it through. Because we cannot control our circumstances, but we can control our response to our circumstances. Because I, I couldn't choose that. But you know what? God is faithful even when all of us around him is shaking all of our circumstances. But he's the solid rock and his character doesn't change even when our life changes. And when everything around us change, he is the same. And it says, when we are overwhelmed, run to the rock that is higher than us. So because I'm a little bit of a troublemaker, who is his twin? Who do you introduce him as? Because he gave you a good one. Um, just Daniel Verker. <laughs> The one and only. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That is weak. That is weak. She's going to have to find a really good-looking yeah, dude and say, you are his twin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, hey, before we wrap today, there might be some people here. I hope there are some people here. I hope there are some people watching online who don't know Jesus. Uh, they don't know who he is personally. Maybe they've questioned him their whole life. Uh, they're in the fire, and they don't have a friend who's taken their hand and said this way. We're going to go this way. Uh, what would you say to people in the room who don't know Jesus about who he can be in their life through their suffering, through their pain, through their hurt into eternity? I want you to know Jesus is so real. He is as real as the person next to you. And he sees you in the dark of night when you're crying and you are so lonely and you're hurting and you feel like nobody knows what you're walking through. God says in his word that he sees and he cares. And he's the God that carries that with you. 
But we have to hope even when it hurts. We have to turn to the hope of Jesus. And it says that Jesus Christ is our living hope. Death did not overcome him. Any circumstance of suffering did not take him down. He got the victory. And we only get the victory from the drowning and the pain of our lives if we cling to the hope of Jesus, the lifeline that gets us through, that floats on the grace and the caring that Jesus does through our pain. And so our our hearts and our, our life, we pray, always points to the hope of Jesus in the darkest moments of our lives to know that he is there. Our prayer is that through this series, you've learned some things that you can know about God, even on the hardest day of life. Some things you can absolutely know for sure. If you're here and you're suffering, our prayer is that maybe you've, you've been given some answers that haven't brought a lot of relief yet, but they've provided direction for where you can find relief through Jesus. And if you're here today or you're watching online today and you don't know Jesus, the whole purpose of this series, the whole purpose of every Sunday at our church is to help people meet Jesus who don't know him. And if that's you today by faith, say, what's that mean? That means you don't understand it all, but you choose to believe. Like they chose to worship where they didn't feel like worshiping. You choose to believe that God is real, that he knows you, that he loves you, that your life probably has not been lived to his standard, but that through his son, you can be forgiven and you can be eternally connected to God. If you've never done that, we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. So if you just bow your heads where you are with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around just out of respect for this holy moment and the lives of the people in this room. If you're here today and you're suffering, we want you to know that Jesus can help. We want you to know that Jesus is the answer. If you're here today and you're suffering, if you're here and you're hurting, if you're here and you're in the valley of the shadow of death, keep walking, but take the hand of the one who survived death, came out on the other side, and lives eternally to comfort you, to lead you, to direct you, to give you life, and one day to bring you to be where he is, so that where he is, you might be also. If you're suffering, we want you to know we've been praying for you through this series. We pray you would find hope. But if you don't know Jesus, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, our prayer is that God has spoken to you during this service. He's kind of tapped you on your emotional shoulder and said, hey, I'm here. I'm real. I love you. Open your heart to me. I can help you. If that's happened for you today, if you don't know Jesus or it's been a long time since you've connected to Jesus because in your hurt you've been running the other direction, come back. Open your heart. Open your hand and take the hand of the one who's reaching down from heaven to connect to you and follow him through your pain and suffering. Not only out of it, but out of it, using it to help others. If you're here today and you've never done that, all you got to do is tell God, God, I need you. I don't think I can do it anymore. I've been trying to do it on my own, and God, I cannot. You just got to tell God, God, I need you. If you're here today and you don't know how to do that, you say, I'm not a spiritual person, not a religious person, didn't grow up in church, I don't know how to pray, I'll say a prayer that you can pray after me. You can repeat these words after me. It's not this prayer. It's just the attitude and the invitation of your heart that really allows God's spirit to come settle into your life. You don't have to pray out loud. You don't even have to move your lips. God hears the prayers of our hearts in heaven. If that's you today, if you don't know Jesus, but you need to, you want to take his hand and walk with him through a difficult season in your life, would you just pray these words from your heart to heaven? Would you pray this, dear God? I need you in my life, in my hurt, in the brokenness, 
and pain and suffering of my world, God, I need you. And if you know me, if you really care about me, if you really love me, if you sent your son to be my savior, my leader, then today by faith, which means I, I don't understand it all, but I choose to believe it. Today by faith, I choose to say yes to your invitation to walk with your son, to have Jesus in my life. Forgive me of my past. Fill me with your spirit in my heart and in my mind right now, every day in my present. Show me where you want me to live my life in the future. And give me an eternity in heaven with you when I die today. I want to choose to follow Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I'd like to pray for you. Don't want to embarrass you. Don't want to make you feel vulnerable. You don't have to tell me for it to have worked. But I'd like to pray for you that God will give you the hope and the peace that Jesus brings in real time as you move forward today. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Heads are still bowed. Eyes are still closed. Nobody's looking around. On the count of three, if you prayed with me, I'm just going to ask you to just lift your hand up and hold it up in the air for a minute. I'm going to look over the auditorium, see where you are, then I'll have you put your hands down. And I'll just say a quick prayer over you, asking the God of the universe to walk with you very real time in a tangible way so that you can feel him in your life and have the peace and the hope and the joy that he offers. If that's you, would you let me pray for you? If you prayed to say yes to Jesus today, on the count of three, would you just lift your hand and let me know? One, two, three, right now, just all over the room. If you just pray, just lift your hand up. Hold them up high if you would. I'm, I'm going to look all over there. I'm going to count so you know that when I'm done. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Keep them up, keep them up. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. You can put them down. God, thank you for the sixteen people here today who acknowledged I needed Jesus and today I took his hand. God, I pray that they will feel your presence in their life. I can't explain that, but I've experienced it. And I pray they will too. I pray that they will feel forgiven. I pray that they will feel like a load has been left at church and they, they walk with a brand new step. Like they've got a new lease, a second chance on life. And I pray when they go to work tomorrow that their heart would feel like it beats differently. That, that they might feel like they're connected to heaven. That, that their, their mind and their eyes would begin to see things differently. And they would just feel like they've been joined in life by the God of the universe. God, for those who may have prayed but who didn't raise their hand, let the same thing happen. For those who might have prayed watching on their couch sitting at home today, let the same thing be true. Let them feel your hope, your peace, your joy, even in a broken world. Bring fullness through Jesus. Thank you for what you did in this place today. Thank you for Daniel and Brittany and their story. Lord, their story of loss, their story of hope. And Lord, their story of faith that they brought to us today. Bless them and their family for the ministry work they do. Thank you for being with us today. We love you. God, we ask all these things today in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Guys, can you thank Daniel and Brittany for being with us today? Thank you so much for traveling from Atlanta. We got to go over to the 1030 service. So Pastor Mike's going to wrap us up. Can you also, before he comes, put your hands together for 16 people today that said, yes, I need right, Jesus. Amen. That is why we do what we do. Amen.